0: Hello, welcome to the bittersweet life. This week's episode is a continuation of last week's episode. And it will make a lot more sense if you hear the other episode first. So get caught up if you missed Suzanne part one. And if you are really new to the show, don't be afraid to start with episode one. Now I know that's a lot of episodes ago, but it might be fun to come along for the whole journey. That's up to you. And now, without further ado. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. We're back. (laughs) Uh, The funny thing being that to anyone listening, we didn't really go away for very long. But however, we're in a totally different mindset now, right? Mm -hmm. We went to Pike Place Market, which is everyone knows Seattle's favorite tourist place to go. And we saw the original Starbucks. And we went out it was such a thrill. lying down the block trying to get in. We decided not to try. And so then I should just
1: point out that the reason that we're doing all this tourist stuff, despite all being from Seattle is because it's Claudio, my husband's first time in Seattle. And so we're, um, we're just kind of taking around. We only have 48 hours here, mm-hmm. which are fast coming to a close. And so we wanted to kind of hit some of the top spots in the city. Although we didn't do a true tour.
0: Yeah. I think in a way we well, at least from what I've seen, we've managed to sort of barely see anything. Yeah, we <laughs> like Pike Place Market was closing down when we got there. The Starbucks had too long of a line for us to go into it. Yeah, we didn't make it to the Space Needle. We didn't go to a restaurant with a view. We went to one in like in a basement. <laughs>
2: yeah, and it- and it was Italian rest. It was Italian food. I think that's the funniest thing because I was about to say that at dinner, but then I didn't. That like, oh,
0: here we are having pasta
2: (laughs) yeah
1: we probably should have like gone like a burger place but
0: whatever it's fine yeah because you were judging the whole way home you were like that pasta was terrible no it was good it's
1: actually i mean i liked mine i don't know about you guys but i liked mine i didn't have pasta anyway it doesn't matter
0: um everyone's like (laughs) again (laughs) who cares (laughs)
2: um
0: so now it's also nighttime dark outside and we have lost a little bit of track of where suzanne and i left off we know that we were talking about your european travels Tiffany had a question or two that she wanted to ask. She's looking at me like she doesn't know what I'm talking about. I'm, yeah, I'm very jet-lagged right now.
1: I'm, can I just pause for a second? I need to
0: think of a question.
1: Don't at the spot again, Katie. <laughs> Tiffany
0: will forgive because she is jet-lagged. I would like to go in a totally different vein, and then if you think of anything...
1: Right, just for, just cut that bit.
0: No, I'm not going to cut that bit. You I love that bit. What, will you love that bit? No, if no I don't no. love that bit. Okay.
1: okay. <laughs> I always tell her to cut stuff.
0: And does she? And did. I do. And she always says I don't. Mm, well, you probably cut a lot more, and I just don't realize because
1: I don't know when you cut it. and well, you know. don't remember. I don't remember, but I do know when you don't cut it. Because I'm like, hey, cut that bit. And you're like, okay. And I'm like, hey, what if she didn't cut it? <laughs> and that happened
0: two years ago. No, it's happened more than <laughs> once.
1: It's happened more than once. I made a comment before I had Aurelio about how it must be hard for new mothers who had used to have careers to like become milk machines. Mm. And then I, I think, thought I thought about it afterwards, and I was like, you know, that line that I said that was really not very nice, and you know, that was kind of rude. So can you cut that? And you're like, sure, 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 and you didn't.
0: I didn't. No. Oh yeah. well, I just forgot. that's
2: such a, and now that's such a good because, line, though. I think it's a good line. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's. I, I, I felt d- like it was insensitive. Oh. Humbug. And now
0: as a mother, do you think it's insensitive? No, it's just true.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it's funny. It's a good line it's true. Like, and I think so many mothers are like, oh God, I used to leave the house and like go do things and use my brain. And now all I use are the, the (laughs) udders. And do you think of them as udders? What I just said was insensitive, right?
1: Well, Eh, maybe you said it, so it's okay. No, you have to judge. Was that insensitive? (laughs) No, not to me. And, and as a nursing mother, I can say that no, I wasn't offended.
0: So, anyway. um, (laughs) Cut that
2: part.
0: No, no. Cut that part. No, I refuse. What I wanted to ask about while all three of us were together, if we could get into a larger conversation about the fact that when we all met each other, say, early high school, 14, 15 years old, none of us were super well-traveled. I mean, we'd maybe been here and there, but, you know, we hadn't gone to a ton of different foreign cultures. And I was wondering if there's any way that we can point to If we are or are not different based on those travels, it might be impossible because we've also aged 20 something years. But I don't know if there's anything like glaring where you can say Tiffany was like this and now she's like this. Mm -hmm. Not to say that she was bad before or good now, but do you know what I mean? It's a nearly impossible
2: question. Yeah, it just it just takes some some. I guess, more thinking than is possible when you have a microphone in your face. <laughs> one of the things that's definitely changed about Tiffany over the years is is her politics. I think she was a much more conservative when we were younger, in more ways than one. Not just politically, but just more conservative, I think, overall as a person. And since you've lived in Europe, that's changed dramatically. And I think that makes sense. I mean, you're actually experiencing the benefits of national healthcare and things like that, I mean, it makes sense that, like, you, you're you seeing things in action, like ideas, things that are just ideas, right? In America, national, nationalized healthcare is, it's just an idea here. Um, and that's why people can be like, there are going to be death panels, because it's just an idea, and they have no real-world experience with it. I
0: have to explain what a death panel is.
2: Oh, it's the, it's the thing that that woman, that Sarah Palin person, mm-hmm. During the two thousand eight election, uh, was it two thousand eight? No, it was after they. It was after she lost. Sarah Palin was the vice presidential candidate. They lost the election in two thousand eight to Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And then during the Obamacare, I believe it was when Obamacare was beginning to be debated and sort of hashed out during that year long process to actually get it passed. Sarah Palin started sort of spreading this rumor, or at least this idea that um, there were going to be death panels where there would be panels of doctors deciding who lived and who died based on the cost-benefit analysis and that that's how it was going to work, which is utterly ludicrous. It's just totally ludicrous. And I'm, I don't, I'm turning your show into a, a politics forum. But obviously, if you live in a place with nationalized healthcare. Um, and I've seen that not just with Tiffany, but with other people I know who've lived in Europe and other places that have that kind of health care. It does change your perspective on, A, how viable it is. And B, there aren't going to be death panels like because <laughs> there just aren't because we're still human beings, even when we have nationalized healthcare.
0: I have a question. Is there any example that you can remember of a way that Tiffany was conservative then that she would not say she is now?
2: Absolutely, it was mostly because we were all such flaming liberals, or at least I was, that um, Tiffany didn't like to talk politics when we were younger, like mostly you would just kind of shut it down a little bit, and I remember you saying to me once, like, I just don't understand why, why liberals are so angry, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, yes. that. Oh, my
2: God. Yeah, And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I guess I am really angry about politics. But then after you'd lived abroad for a while, all of a sudden you were like, when talking about American politics, you were like, and this is crazy. This is crazy, this thing that's happening, which I think was a, a sign of how much your politics had changed. Yeah, I don't even
1: remember exactly when the switch happened, but I feel like it was so dramatic mm-hmm. like it was a full 180 like boom and now i've talked about this before with you i don't like hillary clinton is to me i mean she's not liberal enough she's too far right for me and i'm like bernie sanders woo-hoo! <laughs>
0: okay yeah. whereas i back in the same period of time while you guys were conservative liberal was so not paying attention to any of it i can still remember my father saying well okay which one of these two guys are you going to vote for and i picked one of the guys and he's like that's right why and i said because he's hotter (laughs) was that that al gore dukakis
2: oh dukakis i voted for well i mean i didn't vote for dukakis because we were
0: we were young we couldn't have voted we were like what 14 13 12. yeah
2: yeah because that was the summer after fourth grade But I went because I was a bit of a troublemaker and my mom, whenever I was in trouble, she would send me off to Spokane to stay with her folks, just like get out of Seattle and all the bad influences. I don't know. Spokane's on the other side of Washington state, Eastern Washington. And um, her parents were New Deal Democrats because my grandfather was a uh, he worked for the um, railroad and um, that really saved his family because Roosevelt you know, with the New Deal, they retired a bunch of railroad employees. And that's how my grandfather, who was a very young man, was able to get a job. And that literally saved his family. And so they will be Democrats forever. And not just for that, but like there's still this sort of like ancestral loyalty to the Democratic Party because of the New Deal. But anyway, I went out to Spokane and like hung out with my grandparents for a week all by myself, and we watched the debates and we watched all of the news and they explained to me about why the Democrats were the only party. And then there were the Republicans, which were the bad party. And I came home a Democrat. And and at the time, my whole family now are either left-leaning independents or Democrats in terms of the family I grew up with, my immediate family. But at the time, they were not. At the time, they were very much Reagan Republicans, my parents. At that time, they've changed a lot since then. That's one example, of the, the, my yeah. pol- politics. Now,
1: I'm going to think what I've noticed in you. I mean, you, but you went abroad very young. I didn't go abroad until I was 20, I mean, to live, Yeah. until I was 27. And I traveled abroad, but I never lived abroad. And you really lived abroad. It wasn't an extended period of time, but it was over a year. And you came into contact with many, many different European cultures during that year. So it's hard for me to like pinpoint how you've changed because that was still so early on in your life, yeah. Katie.
0: I mean, I think it's easier for me to look at you, Tiffany, and say how you another way that you've changed. And it would be for me to say how Suzanne has changed. Suzanne, the one thing you've had going for you all along is I think that you were always a little more worldly. Definitely compared to me. I think I was the smallest thinker of the group, probably. Had done no international travel. had done, Didn't even really think much about going outside of the country at all, as we've talked about. But you, I feel like you were always kind of thinking outward. And Tiffany, too. But I think Tiffany in a more romantic way, and you in a more practical way. Like in a seize the world sort of way, and Tiffany in a more dreamy way.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say there was anything really practical about my plans for Europe. Dreamy too. I I was very dreamy in a different way than Tiffany was. We were, but we were both very dreamy for sure. The only reason it maybe seemed more practical was because I actually, like, we graduated from high school you know, my parents weren't going to foot the bill. So like I, I mean, they, they helped me out with, you know, a graduation present of like a URL pass and some things like that. So they were definitely supportive and helpful, but I had to like pay my own way in Europe. And so I stayed home for a year. Originally the idea was like, I'll take a year, like a gap year, work for half the year and then go live in Europe for half the year. Then halfway through that year, I had like three jobs. So I was making as much money as I could as an 18 year old, 19 year old. And then halfway through that year, I realized that it wasn't enough for me to learn German before I went to Europe, that I also needed to learn French, literally on a dime. It was like one afternoon. I was like, okay, I'm going to catch up because this was probably in December. And so in January, a 102 class in French would start at the community college. And I was already taking the 100 level German classes there. To learn German. And I was like, I'm going to spend the Christmas break doing French 101 so that I can test out of that. And then I'm going to start French 102 along with German 102 in January. And I'm going to stay in Seattle for a year in order to learn French and German and save more money. And I'm going to go to Europe for longer than just six months or whatever. I'm going to stay as long as I can, as long as I can afford to stay again this is not exactly practical this was like as my father would put it a whim of iron where it was like i just had this whim and i was like that's what i'm doing i'm not going to waver
1: i'm um, going to use that expression
2: yeah that's what my father always says the whim of iron so anyway so the whim of iron meant that i ended up taking two and a half years between high school and college between staying home and saving money and then being in europe But yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. I think what makes it seem practical is that I did um, have a plan, ultimately, in a sense, even though it changed on a dime, um, to make money and to get myself there and to have some basis in these languages that I wanted to learn and know. So that might make it seem practical, but once I got over there, and especially once you've lived in a German household, even though like I'm a big believer in German romanticism, there is also a very real German pragmatism. And once I was over there living in a German household, it was very clear that I was not practical. <laughs> like leaving the shower water running.
1: Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> and we guys were chatting about one of Suzanne's projects that she's working out on her um, memoir, Thinking Like a Girl. And I have been lucky enough to read an early draft of this which I'm just going to go on a little side here to talk about how incredibly fun this was for me because you have to understand that Suzanne and I remember a couple of podcasts ago I was talking about how we wrote each other letters Mm -hmm. well the younger that we were the more letters we wrote it's been getting less and less as we get older (laughs) but that year which was correct me if I'm wrong that would have been 96 to '97. We wrote each other a lot of letters that year. And I was getting letters from Munich. I was getting letters from the south of France. I was getting letters from Portugal, from Prague, from Dresden, like from everywhere. (laughs) It was just, it was awesome. I was like it, you know, in school and I had my little cubby hole. I I guess, was I in the dorm that year? No, maybe I wasn't. But I was, you know, getting all this foreign mail. I felt so important. (laughs) I kept getting like the air mail letter like every other week. And I know these stories. I know these stories from having read her letters. And there's something different about a story that someone tells you in person and a a story that they tell you in a letter. Because when someone tells you a story in a letter, you have it forever and you can refer to it. And this is kind of embarrassing, but for many, many years, until we were probably in our mid-twenties, Suzanne and I would get together once every maybe two years
2: and we would read our letters to each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's so embarrassing. No, it's, it's kind of amazing actually. We would we'd literally stay up all night yeah, to do that's it. Yeah. Because it, it took to like because we wanted to do it chronologically, we had them all numbered. Like I still have nice. like my whole package of our letters and they're numbered so that it's easy to then read them. And I think we each read our own? Is that how we would we do We usually it? would read our own, but then I think one year, and we, we haven't done this that often. It's probably like
1: maybe even three times. Three times yeah. I think one year we, we did read each other's, which was really fun. I think that was the most fun. Yeah. Um, because your letters, I mean, I have read more than once. You know, I would always read your letters more than once yeah. when they came. So there are these stories about her that I know so well because I've read them more than once, but I got a certain version of that story. I got a version of that story of while you were living it, which is different from when you think back on something and you have perspective. And so here I am, I get to read her memoir of this year and it was incredible. It was like almost like reading my own memoir because I almost felt like I had done those things. It was it was just awesome. So I know this book is not on the close horizon, but eventually I'm sure that it will be published and we will talk about it again. So just put that in your, you know, put a pin on that and we will get back to that eventually. And it is going to be, I mean, obviously it has a special meaning for me. But beyond all of that personal stuff, it is incredible and incredibly well-written and a beautiful story. And for anyone who has been an expat or who dreams of being an expat, especially if you're, you know, the younger, the younger ones out there. It's a great story. It's, it's an adventurous read, but it's also insightful.
0: Well, maybe to give it taste, what do you mean by you left the shower running? Because now we're all <laughs> thinking like, I haven't seen this memoir. I haven't read these letters.
2: Well, I think, um, part of the pretension of, the kind of girl I was, and I don't think I was the only one like this, is that I did not consider myself to be an American, really. I mean, I was an American, of course, by birth and, you know, family and all of that, but not culturally. <laughs> culturally, I was something far more refined than an American, even though I'd lived and grown up in Mercer Island, Washington, my entire I was an American. I was an American kid. I didn't totally understand this till I was living in Europe and sp- specifically in Germany, just outside of Munich it's a different culture and it's not the culture of Howard's end. And I mean, that's obviously England, but like, it's not the culture of like the art film, the art movies that I was watching at all the seven Gables theaters. And It was not Goethe or Rilke. It was like German culture, like as it's just lived, where people go to work and they have meals at certain times and they're extremely conscientious about electricity and water and garbage and there's like 12 different bags for recycling the cap off of the bottle and then the bag for the bottle. I mean, it was really, it was kind of amazing to see just how conscientious the Germans were, but I was this dreamy, 19 year old and i would stay up until four in the morning writing letters to my friends and um trying to write my terrible novel and oh and also sometimes watching german porn can i say that on your podcast because in germany at least back then after 11 o'clock at night certain channels just became pornography it was like just like like if you were just like watching nbc you're like dun 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 and then it's like 11 p.m and now it's the porn hour and i would be like what the heck there's porn on tv so and they were always hilarious like 1970s russian bo- it was so bad anyway so every once in a while that's what i would be doing just sort of laughing and anyway uh so you know i'd like be up until four in the morning doing my thing reading whatever and then i would sleep till noon and then one of the little girls in the family would come and knock on my door and say suzanne das essen ist fertig which means you know the meal's ready and that's like the midday meal, which is the big meal of the day in Germany. So I would wake up and I'd try and pretend like I'd been like up for a while, you know, but I was like, you know, yeah, I was just writing all morning. I was studying things. Um, But I'd go downstairs and sometimes it'd be like wine or beer with the big meal of the day. So like, I wouldn't have even had a cup of coffee yet. And I'd be like drinking a glass of red wine with some like big pork, stew thing and and the mother of the family was such a good cook and I probably gained 15 pounds that year because I just ate everything I ate everything I could get my hands on because everything was so good so they would sort of look at me like I was this exotically lazy creature that they'd never, it, it, like, encountered before. Like, they were in the Galapagos Island where there's this total indolent, like, this indolent animal that they'd never heard of before. it really was from the
1: litters, and, uh, and they would, like, scoff at you. Oh, my God.
2: Well, and they would just sort of look at me like, who does that? Like, who who sleeps so late? But then on top of that, you know, I would try and be really conscientious about turning off lights and you know making sure that you know I didn't take too long of a shower or whatever but like I said I was pretty dreamy and I was really concerned with getting out of the house to go to the S-Bahn to go into Munich and live my fabulous life wandering from cafe to cafe trying to figure out what I was doing there and uh And so, like, I would leave the water running and that's just enough, just like a trickle in the shower. And, you know, I just kind of got everything wrong (laughs) in terms of um, household things, you know, Uh, leaving lights on, things like that. And it was very clear. It's like I was an American girl, like I was an American. There was no question about it. In terms of those sorts of things, like I wasn't... And it's not like my parents raised me to be wasteful or anything like that. It's just we had really different standards, I guess, for those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, given that, do you think that it's okay to, in some ways, travel in that dreamy sense that like, you would immerse yourself in all this literature and these ideas of what Europe was going to be? And I think a lot of people travel with those dreamy ideas and sort of not only find them, but live them while they're there. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that is okay, even if it's not the reality of what the culture actually is in a place?
2: Well, I think it depends. I mean, I think where Europe is concerned, absolutely, because there is still so much, there's so much romance in Europe. I mean, just, if you you just want to go to Europe and like just move from like beautiful building to beautiful building and beautiful cafe to beautiful restaurant to like beautiful park to beautiful boulevard and beautiful art museum and beautiful house of a famous person like you can just do that and there's no reason why you shouldn't there's so much joy in that and there's there's such riches in Europe I mean it's a cliche to say that but it's totally true I mean you can just go there and just indulge your wildest artistic fantasies Go walk the same streets that Chopin walked. You know, like why so wouldn't you want to do that's that? It for me. I, I mean, I love the the beauty.
1: I'm obsessed with the beauty of every of just gorgeous things mm-hmm. around you. But I, I love the historic thing. Like I love being like Shakespeare would have lived here, or you know, if I'm in Rome,
2: you know, who which Caesar could have walked down the street. Yeah. It's just no. I remember my my. Actually, it's my only trip. I've only been to Florence once, but I remember all. I'll never forget it, honestly, because I was really affected by Dante at that age. You know, eighteen, nineteen. I was very into the Divine Comedy and uh, La Vita Nuova. And to be in Florence and to think about Dante, like I was walking the same streets that Dante walked. That is an amazing thing to get to do as a human being. To get to go to a place where someone who wrote something that means so much to you, whether it's music or or literature, um, because both of those things for me have been really powerful, to like stand in a place and be like, oh my God, Dante was here. Like he stood here. And the thing is that's sort of funny about it is that if you actually uh, meet like a living writer, it's often really tedious and awful and disappointing. Um, Not always, sometimes it's really wonderful, but more often than not, it's kind of nicer to keep your heroes sort of cloaked a little bit but that's the beautiful thing about the dead ones is you can just go to Florence and you can live your version of who Dante was without having to deal with the fact that maybe he had like bad breath and like a bad (laughs) attitude or something like that in real life. Like you don't have to deal with the actual person of Dante. You deal with like this beautiful figment of your imagination that is also based purely on the best of him, which is this rigor and this output, this effort that he put into the world that is this beautiful poetry so yes absolutely now now where bali is concerned we get into some slightly dicier territory because all of a sudden and i don't know if this is something that will change in like 200 years when all of a sudden we're more enlightened about race and about infantilizing other cultures or 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 whatever but you know i I think it is a little bit weirder when we go to um to a country where romanticizing the culture means infantilizing it, because that's not what happens when we go to Europe. We go to Europe and we if anything, we we elevate Europeans. You know, we we treat Europeans as like better than us as, or we think of them, many of us who travel to Europe think of Europeans as more enlightened, as, as more educated. educated for sure, uh, more sophisticated. And that's, you know, often true, but not necessarily. I mean, if you go to the countryside in France, you're going to meet just as many bumpkins as you're going to meet anywhere else honestly right Italy, yeah and that's what happens when you actually spend enough time over there. Is as you realize that like sure in paris you're going to see a bunch of really beautifully dressed women and men and like they're going to be really sophisticated and they might speak eight languages and only eat at the finest restaurants and they might like you know edit fabulous volumes of poetry and who knows what and live You know on the boulevard saint germain or something like that right you might experience that in paris but then if you go to like southwestern france where i lived for a short period of time you know you're going to meet a bunch of people who are they're more conservative they're more worried about jobs because there aren't as many jobs it's a lot of the same issues but generally speaking when we talk about europe we elevate europeans we treat them as better than us whereas when we go abroad to other places typically where people are darker we often infantilize them. And we either, like I was saying about Bali earlier, we talk, um, I hope I wouldn't do this, but this idea of like the Balinese with their childlike innocence, you know, it's like, no, that's really not okay. That's not okay. That's romanticizing in a way that is simultaneously so false. I mean, I think there's an innocence to it. There's like a wishfulness to it of like, we want people like that to exist on the planet. You know, like we want there to be a place where where there are a group of people who are really enlightened in this wonderful childlike way. And that's like how we all want to live is with this childlike innocence. I think it's coming from a place of like wishfulness and hopefulness, but it's weird. It's weird and it and it dehumanizes them and that's different. So I think there are two sides to the sort of romantic traveler coin.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Should we leave it there?
2: Or do you think we need a stronger wrap up? We keep not talking about Katie. Like every time yeah. Katie brings up a really interesting question, we end up talking about me and Tiffany, and then <laughs> and then Katie's like, "It's fine, it's fine, don't worry about it." But I want to say because what's interesting what is, is that Katie's the most Katie's recent the best, um, interviewer. And
1: she's just so good at it, and I—I I don't know about you. I'm just crap at it, and <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm a crap interviewer. I, I'm gonna like tape something on my computer that just
2: says, "Ask Katie a question." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think Katie's—I I think you're—I think Katie's very. Uh, you're very generous, and you 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 are good at just sort of like. Uh, I'll just fade into the background, and I'll just provide the structure. But you're the one who's who's lived abroad um later in life of all of us you know so i went really young and then tiffany went in our late 20s but for you it was like mid to late 30s was the first time you'd had that kind of experience and so that's interesting to me because i think it's a little bit easier to talk about how you've changed than it is to talk about how we've changed i mean i think it's very clear with like tiffany's politics and things but in many ways tiffany was very formed when when she went abroad And I was really young and so who the heck knows, you know, like everybody was changing at that age. The point is that with Katie, Katie, you were very timid, not intellectually, but um, in terms of like your life choices, you were very conservative, not politically, but just in terms of like you were like, I've got to keep my job keep the job I've always had live in the place I've always lived in, go to the bar and the restaurant I've always gone to. Like you had very clear parameters to your life Mm -hmm. and then going abroad when you came home, I mean, as your friend who's, I mean, I've known you a really long time. That was dramatic seeing you come home and all of a sudden you're like, first off you didn't race home. You were like, no, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to take, yeah, I'm going to take this long route home to see if there's anywhere else in the country I would like to live other than Seattle. That alone was astonishing to me that you would do that. Cuz I just assumed that you were like one of us PNW mushrooms where we're like the Pacific Northwest mushrooms we like grow and we just grow and we just stay here in the rain, you know? And we're just like here in our little on our log. And so 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 seeing how you've changed, not just in terms of for starters, like you, you quitting your job to go abroad was already huge. And I know because I, you know, was going for walks with you at that time, how traumatic that was to even make that decision to do something so unconservative. I mean, really, that's really bold and, and a little risky. And then since you've been home, it seems like you're just craving more of that kind of experience and that risk and and like seeing what you're capable of I guess like really trying to expand your horizons and so that's really interesting to me and really cool Mm -hmm. to see how even like doing something that's really outside your comfort zone later in life you know like after all married and people are a little more settled and then you're like but I'm not going to be settled I'm going to go do this crazy thing and see where it leads I think that's pretty awesome too
1: yeah I have to say I was surprised how deeply you fell for Rome Mm. and not just Rome but living in a foreign culture Mm. and the um, the stimulation that that gives you because for the same reasons because that had not ever been something and you've said this yourself many times that was just not something that ever had a huge draw for you I mean I knew how I felt about Rome that's my thing I'm obsessed with Rome everyone knows that and you know you came sort of on the shirt tails of Derek, I hate to put it that way, but I mean, you know, it was his his thing and you decided to come with him. And you, you know, you were the one who didn't want to go back. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm ready, let's go back. And you're like, oh, I don't want to go. Mm -hmm. And as much as I, you know, we had an amazing time together, I didn't realize even as that year was unfolding how much you had grown to, I mean, and it was a slow thing, but how how much you had grown to love it there, that you would want to try to find a way back or to try to, you know, or to move somewhere else, but not to, you know, settle back into your old life. I see a struggle within you now, because it's very easy to fall back into our habits. It's like gravity, you know? And so you've got kind of the pull of, okay, I'm in Seattle. This is where my home is. This is where my life is. But, but you've got that pull now in the other direction because you've lived it and you've done it. And I always say people who have been an expat once, they know that they can do it. And so it's more likely that they'll do it again. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested to see which way
0: this is going to go. Well, not only that, but I will point out that what do we do? We talk about the questions of this every single week. And I think that I have always been a person that seeks answers by talking to other people. I think that's part of why I became an interviewer or something like that. It's because every week I could say, try to convince me. I feel like I want to go do something else. Convince me. Convince me to do something else. And we can talk about loneliness. We look at it from every single aspect, you know, where or I or will call up Claire over and Splits and be like tell me how it's going is it going all right do i need to get over there and she'll say get over here yeah, he,
1: yeah talk to if you want to go talk to claire as much as possible because she's like living it up i don't know don't talk to me because i'm like ah, oh, no just kidding <laughs> <laughs> well i mean I but you're so you have tired. the perspective
0: too because i mean that's a whole different show like you know we've talked about we are going to do that show actually of when you have to realize that you're done you're over a place now or you are or a place as we were putting it Is done with you, and it's time to go. But that's a totally different show. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I will. I will. I would agree. I'm. I'm. I would argue. I'm. I feel completely different. Both Tiffany and I have come to symbolize an experimentation for people that I don't think anybody would have associated me with five years ago.
2: No, but I also think it's interesting because I really agree with what Tiffany's saying about how there's this new. I don't think this is exactly what you said, but it's almost like there's like a dissatisfaction in you now which I think is the it's one of the byproducts of living abroad or, or just doing a lot of travel, is that there is this sort of dissatisfaction that you live with a little bit when you're not traveling, which is that you know that you could be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like if circumstances were a little bit different or if you made it happen again, you could be traveling, you could be living somewhere else. And I think for those of us who really love to travel and who love to, to not just travel for a short period of time, like when my husband and I went to South America, It was great because he was like, we can't go for less than two months. And I was like, okay, let's do it. We have to make it work that we can go for at least two months. And it's because you want to have that experience of feeling like you live in a place. Two months isn't that long, but it's long enough to at least get into some habits, you know, like you can get into like a breakfast habit of going to the same cafe and you can start to feel, you get more of a sense of the culture and, the, and at least the culture of the neighborhood you're in, if not the culture of the city or the country, you get a sense of the neighborhood and that's so important to me. And sometimes, sometimes I have to admit like there are times when I'm like, I teach creative writing here in town and I've got more responsibilities than I've ever had. And there are times when Kurt and I will just be like, what's happening in Uruguay right now? Like what's happening? Cause there was this pulp mill crisis in Uruguay when we were in Argentina. We talked about it every day over breakfast, what's happening with the pulp mill crisis. And sometimes to this day, we're like, that's all we want to do. We just want to be, we want to be there thinking about the pulp mill crisis. This is really important that we know what's happened with the pulp mill In Uruguay and I think that's part of that just constant awareness that like we could be somewhere else you know if we made it work it could be
0: it's an artistic question too or it's a life question that people I think if they travel or live abroad or even quit jobs or whatever they do I think it's that question of am I actually spending my life doing what I want to be doing Mm -hmm. and is it possible to somehow be doing something else and I don't think I've always been a big dreamer in that way, and I often look to other people to set the dream, and then I follow along with it. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Tiffany always says she'll just plan my travel for me. She'll be like my <laughs> travel agent, and I'll just follow her ideally itinerary, which to me sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right, let's do that. Do just that. just let, tell me what to do. Anyway, we should leave it there because this episode's getting long, and it's getting late, and Tiffany has got to fly away tomorrow to Idaho.
1: Yes, and I want to um, I want to give you something that it's not quite finished. Okay. Um, I was just scribbling a little, few things down right now, but this is a purple letter for you. Ah. <laughs> and uh, I want to just show oh, you the man. date that I started this.
0: You have to describe what a purple letter is, too.
1: This is started on the twentieth, twenty eighth of September, two thousand thirteen. Oh, really? Are you kidding me? I wrote most of this when you were living in Rome. Wow. And I never told you about it. (laughs) I wanted to send it to you on the plane when you left. And I didn't finish it. (laughs) So a purple letter, I kind of mentioned it briefly. Suzanne and I wrote regular letters to one another. But Katie and I, and we started even earlier, I think it was in... It was during Snow White When our first play we did Seventh today, grade maybe Seventh grade I got, had this notebook of purple paper I was obsessed with purple back then I'm sorry I'm going to add Five minutes to the podcast okay. I hope you guys don't care You no, can right. cut this If you think it's boring um, But I um, Yeah there are pictures in it too oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Lovely
1: um, Are you to cry? No, no I hope there's nothing bad About Suzanne in there No, I'm just kidding <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm, It's like there gossip I hate that bit. Why is Suzanne not come to visit us? Huh?
2: Why does she not listen to
1: our podcast? <laughs> I anyway, did, I, you were saying, okay,
0: though, um, the purple letter fun. began in the seventh
1: grade. Sorry. I had a little, I was obsessed with purple, and I had this little notebook, of purple paper, and I wrote, I just it, I just filled it up. I just wrote to you, but I just didn't stop writing.
0: It was 14 pages long.
1: Okay, so that's not that long. But then Katie, of course, topped it. Like, she wrote me one back that was, like, 30 pages long. And then I wrote her back one that was, like, 80 pages long. And we, we, would, we would do this, and, and, you know, we kind of eventually stopped. But when Katie was at my wedding she had this little very small one but it was quite thick and she and then later Suzanne were writing it during my wedding while you know the reception was going on and you gave it to me that night and in the whirlwind of uh, you know getting married and my family was there and rushing off to honeymoon and yada 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 and being married and I had it in my bedside table and I didn't read it for at least a few weeks if not maybe a month and then I started reading it and I, I I was crying I definitely was crying especially as we got to the end bit you know where I was like it was my wedding day and you know I still keep that to this day my, my my bedside table it's always there and so yeah I had this idea to write this to you while you know during our year to capture some of our memories and also we, we do activities in these letters we, we do like you know word searches and we use like stickers and um, stuff like that lots of purple pen I don't know if i have purple pen in there anymore but point is i never finished it and i'm still not finished but i'm like you know what i'm gonna give it to you anyway
0: so there you go well thank you so much well the other thing too is like when a purple letter is completed and passed on it is the other person's job to begin a new one at some point and Mm -hmm. send it back Mm -hmm. so so yeah well thank you that's so cool i can't wait to read about stuff i forgot happened that's the thing yeah okay i'm not gonna cry so I'm, I'm good it's too late to cry but I, I can't wait to read it all right well we'll leave it there
1: I'm so happy that we got to have three episodes in person after so long and I'm so happy that you're not going to have to spend too much time editing them
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh I mean, it's yes, still going to take forever I know it will
0: still take forever but not as much as if it were done on Skype right that's true Right? Yes. Okay. I am so relieved. And, and she had told me that at the most I would get one out of her. Yeah, so we, I really appreciate it. Time, so. And we haven't even talked about any kind of weird culture shock you experienced coming to the United States. but
1: Yeah, I've been making a little mental list of the things that I'm shocked at, about.
0: Okay, good. So when you get home, you'll have twice as many, and we'll talk then. Okay. And until okay. next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks.
2: And I'm Suzanne Morrison.
0: Join us again. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best.